Hello, Oasis. All right. It's me, Emily, and I'm here with Ben and Brennan. What up? She was waiting for me. 100% waiting for us to respond, (laughs) which is fair because we have given a precedent in the last three episodes that we say, as soon as you say that, we respond. Yeah. And we failed you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, we failed her. No, yeah. <laughs> but did we fail her now or did I fail her the last three times when I've jumped in, cut her off, three and put times my own? is pretty consistent. Oh, yeah. What is the Teddy Roosevelt thing? Fool me once, fool me twice, fool me yeah, three Michael times. Yeah, Michael Scott, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. Yeah, it's You're you, got, you guys know how it goes for sure. All right, back to you, Emily. <laughs> well, hello. We're so excited you are here. But we are continuing a conversation from last week. But before we dive in, I want to ask you guys a question. Most of us, I guess all of us right now, we are pastors. But before that, we probably did not work at a church. Have you ever worked at somewhere that was not a church? Yeah. I've only ever been in the church. <laughs> not true. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. A lot yeah, of jobs. Lots of different jobs. My first job was at Dairy Queen. I was in the chill section is what they <laughs> called it. So I got to make the ice cream. It was awesome. Like working the blizzard thing, you have to like do the foot pedal, then move it with your hands and you know, I, I know. So now I feel empathetic when you get to the bottom of the blizzard at Dairy Queen and it's just vanilla ice cream. That used to make me really mad. But now I understand. I get it's harder <laughs> than you think to get the candy all the way dispersed throughout it. But I never mastered, if you've been to Dairy Queen, the swirl at the top. Why did you never master that? I just, I didn't have it, man. How long were you there? Uh, so this is, I was there. <laughs> I was there for like a year, maybe a little more. But then they let me go. They, they, they let me go because I was under 16 and we got bought by a new company who had a different policy. So they had to let me go. That's right. Then I went over to a different Dairy Queen mm-hmm. and I was there two months before they fired me because <laughs> I hated that Dairy Queen. And so I sh- didn't show up for work. Not all Dairy Queens are created equal. No. Mm-mm. But if you know how to do the swirly thing on top yeah, of the cone, I, I applaud you because yeah. pretty much in a year and a half, I never mastered it. It was always kind of droopy, which I guess I'll just have to live with that yeah, the rest of my life. Yeah, deal with that. But Dairy Sad. Queen. Terrible burgers, great ice cream. Those are fighting words. Right. What did so you do, Ben? I, I did a lot of things. I worked at Taco John's. I mm. was a manager of a pool in the summer at a country club uh, when I was 14. Figure that one out. <laughs> 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 I've worked in multiple kitchens. I've worked in nursing homes. Yeah. Yeah. Best job, TJ's? Uh, best job outside the church. Yeah, probably. I would say Taco John's. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Great leadership, great management. Yeah, it was fantastic. But now you're just like the biggest Taco John's critic because you know, you know, yeah, you know how those potato lays should how be. they should be. I was. Uh, they called me pa- potato lay man. <laughs> no, they <laughs> did. They did. That's what they, they did. That's, That's what they not me. true. I seasoned, no I seasoned the potato lays perfectly every time. Taco Tuesday, busiest day of the week. Over the lunch hour, who was on potato lays? Me. That's Why? Because my name is. <laughs> P.O.B. They would say, hey, yeah. P.O.B., get on the, get on the fryer. It's like, I can do that. That's hilarious. <laughs> Emily, what about you? I had a lot of things, mainly in college, but um, I started working at my school's dining hall, and then I didn't get fired, but I didn't get asked to come back the next year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then the next year, I, I okay, I accidentally started a fire. Oh, man. Um, we had an industrial toaster, and so I would take the cookies and put them in the toaster to warm them up a bit. Yeah. But uh, the toaster was a bit too hot, and so, like, this, like, cookie just, like, 
incinerated in this toaster and then all of a sudden there's just like smoke everywhere Mm -hmm. and so definitely did not get asked to come work at the dining hall again that's real another one of the jobs i had was at the original pancake house and we had an industrial toaster and we had this wheat bread that was really sticky and it would get stuck and then it would pull itself back under instead of falling down and so it would get stuck on your burners and it would start on fire and we would have huge smoke billowing out of the kitchen but it's just from one piece of wheat toast crazy Watch out for those industrial toasters, we're telling you. I got fired from one job. Not for a good reason, though. (laughs) That's a story for another time. Cliffhanger. (laughs) All right. Well, we are back with part two. Last week, we were looking at what does it mean to be called to full-time vocational ministry and working in the local church. But this week, we're shifting gears and we're looking at, all right, all of us are actually called to a life of ministering to others and modeling what Jesus did. And so what does it look like to obey his command in that? Mm -hmm. And so when we think about what it means to minister to people, why is it important that we assume that it's a command and not a suggestion? Yeah, I I think I'll start with the fact that what you just made is a really, really important distinction because we very commonly blur or completely separate the two. So someone will listen to last week's episode and they'll say, oh, they're, they're the ministers, they're the disciple makers, they're the pastors, they're the ones getting paid and so I don't have to do anything. Or they flip it on the other end of the script and they say, hey, I'm a mature Christian who is about making disciples, and so I have to be a pastor. And so where the distinction is really important, like you made, is there is the general call to all Christians that everybody should be about making disciples. And then there are a select few, like we talked about last week. But in that, we'll just keep elaborating that the general call is a command, not just a suggestion for all Christians. There isn't a Christian who doesn't make disciples. It's, it's to say you're a fish without water, right? The, the two can't go hand in hand. If you're a follower of Jesus, that implicitly, explicitly, whatever you want to say, leads into making disciples. Yeah. Agreed. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's that, yeah, yeah, it's that simple. It's, it's a recognition that... And, and what's beautiful about the call to make disciples is our contexts are different. And we'll mm-hmm. get into that and why that's important. But I think that's what's beautiful. It's, it doesn't have to look one way. Yeah. Like you said, it's it's they assume it's like, well, I have to be in leadership. I have to be a pastor in order to make a disciple. No, nope. we all can make disciples. Mm-hmm. I have to preach sermons. Yeah. I have it's to share the gospel everywhere I go. Way. I have to share it yeah. in this kind of way. I have to baptize people. And, that, that, you know, and, and some of those ideas are pulled from the scripture, right. right? You can read Matthew 28, 19 through 20 and see the great commission where Jesus tells us, go, go make disciples, yeah. baptizing them. And you say, okay, this is, this is the formula. Mm-hmm. This is how we do it. Yet even you can see the way that lives itself out in different contexts, right? What does it mean to make a disciple? Jesus says, go make disciples. It's like, okay, great. Where do I yeah. start? Yeah. yeah. And that's where some of this conversation will help fill in the gaps is, okay, this is a command, but how do we live in that command? Because it's something all Christians fall under the umbrella of. So I I did some research this week on the numbers of what it means to not be Christian. And I think living in Brookings, it's a small town. Like if you're part of Oasis, you go to Cool Beans every week and you see someone you know. And so you kind of just assume that everybody goes to Oasis if they look like you and are the same age and that everybody follows Jesus. But I wanted us to break this down a little bit. So there's a group of people in America. They're called the nuns. Now they don't wear like weird hats. They're the people that uh, do not identify. Nothing wrong with a weird hat. Yeah. Good. <laughs> nothing but, wrong nothing good. wrong i'm wearing but, a, if you're not watching the video i'm wearing this really ball and pickleball hat i do like that, it that's a conversation for another day <laughs> sorry i'm gonna keep going but the nuns <laughs> they are a group of people who do not identify with any type of religion so they're not atheists they're not agnostic they are not buddhist they are not hindu they just identify as i don't have a religion so in america 
30% of the nation identifies as nuns. So when we have 300 million Americans, that means about 100 million people in America are non-religious. When we look at South Dakota specifically, there's only about 80% of South Dakota that are Christians. So that means South Dakota is a little under a million. You're going to have 200,000 people in South Dakota that are not Christian. If you look at Brookings, we're going to have about 8,000 people that are not Christian. So this to me is mind boggling because it's like, these are people, like these are real people. This is not a number. This is a real person that does not know who Jesus is. When you guys hear these numbers, what are the thoughts that go through your head? You go first. I mean, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It just is, right? The reality of, especially when you've experienced a transforming reality of this, uh, the power of God in your life, like when you've experienced redemption to the full extent of what Jesus has come to offer in abundant life and joy and peace in the midst of whatever life throws at you. It's heartbreaking knowing there are people who have not just not just experienced that, but don't know Jesus who and God, their creator, who because he desires to know them and wants to know them and has proven and shown that he loves them and is for them. And so it's just, it's heartbreaking that there's not many people who don't know that from this perspective on this side of heaven. And then it's once heaven happens and once we're at the end of the time separated eternally from him is as heartbreaking, if not more. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I would connect the two ideas in a way where I think it's easy to say, okay, I'm gonna make disciples, but then disconnect that from those who don't know Jesus, right? So we'll, we'll really focus internally on our brothers and sisters in Christ. We'll invest our life in other Christians, and we'll kind of very incubate ourselves within Christian community and church as we— and that's there's there's really good things about that. It's because you need brothers and sisters in Christ, and you need that community, but we can't forget about these people. That's why I think statistics like this are really important is because it, it needs to open our eyes and, and shock our hearts because we, as the church— are the ones to reach these people. When you look at the Missio Dei, you have God the Father who sent the Son, right? The mission of God is fulfilled through the sending of the Son. But then the Son sends the Spirit, and the Spirit sends the church, the people of God. And so you have this sending of God across the mission of God to fulfill what God has designed us to do. His ultimate plan is to try, like in 2 Peter 3, 9, he wants all people to come to repentance. Well, these 100 million Americans or 8,000 people in Brookings they don't come to repentance unless we start to help partner with God in the mission, right? You, you can hear the unique story where God met someone in a vision or a dream, but then that vision and dream is, I've never heard it where it's not coupled with that person goes and connects with another Christian. The church is vital to every person's walk with Jesus and they're becoming a disciple yeah. and we can't, we can't disconnect those two ideas. So that's kind of how I'd. Yeah. All right. So maybe looking practically, where do we start when we try and build disciples? You got to start right where you're at. The beauty of you is you have unique influence and in gifting that other people don't. I've had people come to me and say, Oasis should do more of this or Oasis should do more of that. And oftentimes one of my first push, pushback questions is why, right? Why do you think we should do some of that? It's like, well, there's, there's nobody there. there nobody, nobody's doing this. And I'm like, well, but you're there. Or like, you're the person in that classroom. You're the person in that community. You're the person in that group. And so God has maybe sent you. And so when you look around at your unique influence, who are the people that you are interacting with in classes, work, home, friends, apartments, community, and start right where you're at to be able to invest your life in other people. And I, 
I mean, we talk about go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The Greek word go, I'm not going to pronounce it because I'll horribly <laughs> misuse it. It's not just go, it's proceed. It's a, as you go on your way, make disciples of all nations, right? I think we can misunderstand that as you have to go somewhere else yeah, to make disciples. Good. But the reality is no, you, you go, you proceed as you live your life, mm-hmm. you are making disciples. Um, I, I also think of, I mean, is it Romans 10? Faith comes by hearing. Yeah. And what are you hearing? You're hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so there's this reality. Again, even there, it's like you have to, people are sent. We are sent as followers of Jesus mm-hmm. to allow people, as we share the gospel and the good news of Jesus in our own life and whatever that looks like. And that's literally how the Holy Spirit works to, to give people confidence and faith in Jesus. And so it's, you do it where you're at, how go <laughs> like yeah. literally you are sent to preach the good news in the gospel of jesus christ and you do that by sharing the story in which how jesus has encountered you and what he's done in your life yeah why don't you jump in yeah i think one of my favorite stories in scripture is uh the story of moses and exodus 3 is a story where god meets moses in a burning bush and says hello i'm going to send you to pharaoh and you're going to lead all of my people but moses is at this point with sheep in the middle of nowhere in a desert and I love this story because it just shows that God meets us. He's already there. Like mm-hmm. God was there before Moses and met him there. And when we think about what it means to to build disciples when we're at work or when we're at home or even the grocery store or doctor's office, like God's already there. And so God has already been making opportunities. He's already been speaking to people and we are just asked to be obedient and God is going to be with us through the whole thing. Yeah. I've always loved your evangelism i don't know if it's copied or stolen yeah, or no stolen for sure steve i heard it first from okay. uh, steve deneff who is a pastor at college westland in mm-hmm. uh in marion yeah uh, he said evangelism is entering into a conversation that god is already having with someone and so there has to be just this recognition and awareness first of all in your own soul with communion and connection with the holy spirit where you are coming in and not creating an agenda that i have to force jesus on someone but you are recognizing oh god's already having a conversation with this person can I recognize and yield to what he's already been saying and come alongside the work that he's already been doing? Yeah. I mean, it's part of it. It's like God has always been speaking, but not everybody's always listening. Right. And so the, the, the agnostic, the atheist, atheist, the nun, when you look at their life from afar, it might look like God's not speaking or moving in their life. Maybe they're not open to it. And so then it's the process of discernment, which we'll talk about here in a second to join John, God, God in, in the journey, John, <laughs> who's John what is he doing? You know, God, That's, I, I, I Henry Nouwen is someone yeah. I know you you yeah. love Henry Nouwen. Big Henry Nouwen fan big, club over big here. Big HN fan. But his spiritual direction book, I love when he mm-hmm. talks about just joining people on the spiritual journey. Yep. And it's easy to join other Christians on yep. the spiritual journey. It's much harder to join someone who is far from God, yep. on, but they are also on a spiritual journey. Yep. As people, created beings, everybody has a spiritual side. Now, how they recognize or articulate that is very different and unique, but they're having a spiritual life. And so how do we join them with what God is already doing in their soul to lead them and guide them to the place where God would then have That's them good. in his kingdom? Yeah. I think, yeah, my two favorite questions I ever learned to ask are, what is God doing and how can I participate? Because mm. it's just like that acknowledge of surrendering that, one, God's here. I'm not alone. And two, I'm going to do this God's way, not my way. And I think there is a distinction between the two. Um, but maybe let's kind of move and shift gears a little bit. Who are the people that I should look for? That's a great question. Man, it's so context dependent. 
but really it's people who are far from God. As I think when it starts with this, when, when I'm when I'm talking very secular context. When you're talking specifically reaching, trying to reach pe- the lost, people who don't know Jesus. Probably, yeah. Okay. I think that's where I'm heading with this. Okay. And we can add in the extra context yeah, 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 too. Sure. But right when I'm thinking and when I'm in my workplace, when I'm in my classroom, the people I found I was drawn to were the ones that didn't know Jesus. Where it was people who I'd start to have those conversations where it'd be like, hey, what's your faith like? Did you go to church on Sunday? Do you know who Jesus is? Some of those introductory conversations where then from there we would have to try and figure out, okay, where is God in this? And so I I typically started just with normal everyday conversation and then found out there which people were people of peace, which people where I could continue that, right? Because <laughs> most of my evangelism starts in like very normal conversations. Yeah. But. Yeah. I think for me it's it, it, it's you have to recognize immediately who's around you. Like if you don't know who's around you, that there is an automatic problem. Yeah. So there's a relational aspect to that. For me, it's I, yes, it's I want to be drawn to the lost because there are a lot of people who don't know Jesus. But whether it's again, if evangelism is sharing the good news mm-hmm. of Jesus, which that's what it is, it's I am drawn to people who are in the midst of experiencing the kingdom of darkness and need to experience the kingdom of light. Mm. And so that a lot of that is lost people who don't know Jesus. Good. But a lot of that is just people. And so it's in the invitation of where John, where Jesus says in John 15, I come to give them life and life to the full. This person is experiencing that and they may or may not know Jesus, but I'm going to share with them how I have found that abundant life. Yeah. And you're going through this and you have zero hope. Here's my hope. And here's what this looks like. And so I try not to differentiate between so much like loss and not loss. I'm going to get to a point of like, man, either way you need yeah, Jesus. That's good. Period. And so for me, and I, for me, it, in that it's, I'm just, who's, who's near me? Mm-hmm. Literally it's, it's proximity. It's people of peace. Um, I mean, I, for some reason, I think just in, in approaching this way where I'm entering again in every way, everything that I'm doing, there's, I think a conversation that I'm supposed to in some way, shape or form have with someone with whatever I'm doing around Jesus. I don't always know what that looks like, knows what that looks like, but for some reason I sit by the craziest people on airplanes, <laughs> like crazy, crazy people yeah. in the sense of like their stories are insane and incredible. Yeah. And most of them really don't know Jesus. And so I am able to enter into that. He ask a few questions, hear a story. And in an hour and a half plane ride, able to either pray or point them to Jesus in some way, shape or form. Cause I have that open mind of like what is happening in someone's life where I recognize, no, we all are going through and experiencing things in which, Jesus can, I don't know if it's Phil or whatever, mm-hmm. but just wants to be a part of. And so I just am so naturally wanting people to, yes, know Jesus, but experience the kingdom of God, which as a, which is at hand, which he promised to bring and has brought. Yeah. And so, yes, that's lost. That's the least. That's, that's the left out. That's the down and out, but that's also the up and out. And so it's. Yeah, I, I think, I think I really like your answer. And it even fits better probably than what I said under this umbrella of disciple making and, and mission and ministry and all that kind of, cause like, I'm trying to think back over some of the some of the places I've been that are secular. Even some of the people God leads me to are those who know Jesus that I can mm-hmm. encourage in faith. Yeah. Or I can they know Jesus but they haven't found their community and so we get to connect in that way. Yeah. Or they know Jesus but they're wrestling with something and you can speak a word of encouragement yeah. or you can pray together. So that's so good. And even in that it's like I my my red flag in it is Am I just looking for the people where it's an easy, encouraging word versus a challenging, like, hey, get your life together word? Because both of those are real Mm -hmm. and need to happen. And so I need to know that about myself, that I think I am probably, as a pastor and shepherd, drawn to the follower of Jesus to help them in their walk with Jesus, Yeah, because I am (laughs) pro-sanctification and holiness, that I would have a potential tendency to not see the person who doesn't know Jesus. So I keep that mind up like everyone here needs to take that next step of 
whatever Jesus is offering them in that moment and has for them. Yeah. That's good. But it starts with proximity. I mean, just what, who your classmates, who are you sitting by? Like if you're in a, if you're a college student in the classroom and you go to class, which I didn't do a great job of, you sit, usually we, we, whether you have a, a seating arrangement, which you don't, you tend to sit by the same people and maybe you know them and maybe you don't, but that's what five months of potential just getting to know someone yeah. in and out. I know it's classroom, but even neighbors, uh, co-workers, whatever yeah. it is, family. I well, just, and that's and where, it, I don't know. I don't know if I can say this with <clears throat> 100% confidence, but I'll throw it out there and we'll see what catches. But like <laughs> in some ways as a pastor, I get envious of the lay person who has all that proximity. Of, to non-Jesus people? Absolutely. A thousand to, to non-Jesus people and to, and to Jesus people in normal context. In, yeah, right? in, like, in, in the world. You know, so. Uh, yeah, we are too. I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm yeah. secluded, yes. right? In a lot of senses. Yes. I don't work with non-believers. I don't. And the people I work with often have really good community, so maybe they don't always need my encouragement in the same way. Sure. You know what I mean? Or like, uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, my friend group, like all those different things, right? There's it's very saturated um, here at the church. And so when I look at a, a non-believer who is just like I, I have this guy who I talk to a lot who's a cop, and he tells me the craziest <laughs> stories of he's pulling people over and the spirit's like, hey. This person just needs a word of encouragement. And he's like writing them like a DUI, yet he's also just being like, hey, I know you made a mistake, but Jesus still loves you. And I'm going to pray for you. Yeah. Right now. And it's like. As you're handcuffed. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm not, I I don't do any citizen's arrest. So so I'm not sharing the gospel to to people who I'm pulling over. But like that's that's some of the the luxury, I mean, in a way that Mm -hmm. they have that, you know, there's luxuries both ways, but Mm -hmm. it's just cool. And I think that just like points the assumption that a lot of us have and how pastors are supposed to be the ones that are evangelizing, but really it's the work of God's people. And like, yes, pastors do have a share in that, yeah. but so do all of us. Like we are the church and ch- the church is God's plan to restore his, like, and, and make known his name to all people. Well, so, someone, someone once asked, they said, how do you get so many people to show up to Oasis? Right. And I said, I do nothing <laughs> for that. Nothing, right? Like, I think we give a couple tools or, like, encouragements or point people in the right direction. But people invite people to Oasis. I'm not out there in your geometry class saying, hey, I know I don't know where you're at, but here's a card, right? I'm not there in your bank. Like, you're the people there. And so I do very little. I mean, I try to do my part, but very, very little compared to the giant body of Oasis that is living on mission trying to invite more people into what God's doing. All right. So once we kind of identify these people, what do we do? Don't be weird. <laughs> I mean, you can be weird if you're a weird person because God's still going to use it. You got to determine what weird is. Well, I think just like <laughs> you when, if you're overly aggressive in like yeah. I, and, and, and in every interaction, you mm-hmm. feel like you're supposed to absolutely share the six steps of what it is to say yes to Jesus and do the repentance prayer. And if you didn't do that, you're a failure. That's overly weird. Mm-hmm. Like that's again, even in that, will God use that? Probably. Might it actually turn people away? Yeah, because I've actually experienced that and yeah. done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's uh, there's a church I just went to, uh, a conference I went to in this at this church in Chicago, and the way that they talk about evangelism is uh, they they use the acronym bless, and I'm gonna probably screw up some of the letters and what they actually mean. We don't know any difference, so I'll just make them up as yeah. I go. Is that, is that what you're trying to say? B is beautiful. The, yeah. L is yes. love. Do yes. I get love? Is it love? No. Oh darn it. Okay. So B is like be with them. Mm. Be with them. L is listen to them. Like the, everyone has a story and we all usually kind of, and depends on your history, want to talk or if you have the right question, you will get an answer. Yeah. Uh, 
E is eat, invite them to eat, like just relationally be with them, right? Listen to them, invite them to eat. S is serve them. Uh, the first S is serve them. And then the last S is share your story. Mm. And in the midst of that, they say in the midst of this, in order to bless well, you have to pray well. Yeah, so you need good. to start with prayer. You need to start with just an idea of one, whether it's you're praying for others and the people around you, you're praying for awareness of God. Show me even today. Like, I love that prayer. Every time I go to a grocery store, I'm praying, God, who's the person I'm supposed to minister right now in this store. Mm. And almost every time there's someone, whether they know Jesus or don't, I'm able to have a simple, whether it's a, sometimes it's a one minute, two minute conversation yeah. of encouragement. Sometimes it's a 30 minute conversation. I'm late to pick up my kids <laughs> yeah. from school where I'm pointing people to Jesus and, and just again, encouraging them towards Jesus at least. Uh, so it's, it's prayer for awareness, prayer for others, soften hearts. Um, and then for ourselves, like discernment and wisdom and just bold, I mean, boldness a little bit, but more so just share your story. Like, yeah. God, would you give me the recognition of what you've done in my life so I can share this with people. And I think in prayer, when you start praying for others, that's where change really starts to come because we have such this tendency to put it on ourselves and try to have all the right words and say it in the right time and, and say it in the right way, yeah. where when we're praying in a way that is submitted to what God's will is yeah. and to, to building of his kingdom, he blesses in yeah. how that actually goes about. Because I think about not only in my story, when I came to know Jesus, it wasn't because someone came to me and yeah. said the perfect yeah. thing. It was because God had already softened my heart so that when that person came and stumbled through their gospel presentation, I was finally aware <laughs> yeah. of it. Yes. Right. Or like I think about when I was a believer yeah. and there was sin in my life that other people had told me about mm. and I was aware of it, but I wasn't ready to let it go yet. Yeah. My heart hadn't been softened there. Probably one of the best gifts those people gave me yeah. was to pray that my heart would be softened yeah, so that I could get rid of that temptation. So then eventually I got to this place where I could relinquish that. Yeah. And that looks like making disciples too. Yeah. Where you have Christians in your life yep. where you're like, ah, that relationship's not good for you. That space isn't good for you. The thing you're doing here and there, like you shouldn't be doing that. And you've tried and they're not receptive to yep. it. Like just devote yourself to yep. prayer. Like get consistent in prayer about that person, names, and, and with a heart that it longs for them and see what God will do with that in the disciple-making process. I think what's so hard about this is we don't recognize the power of prayer in the midst of these moments in relationships because all we see is the moment where I had a conversation with someone and something clicked. Yeah. But we don't we don't remember the times of prayer that was spent. Like my favorite part of my story coming to know Jesus was these two kids from a small town and a small church youth group who were across the hall from me in the dorm. And yeah, they invited me to church every week. And every week I said no until I didn't say no. But in the midst of that, they went back to their youth group where they texted them and called them and said, hey, we got this guy named Ben. They said, we got these two guys. One name's Jeff and one name's Ben. Mm -hmm. Jeff is close to following Jesus. Ben's really far away. <laughs> Would you pray for him? And they had a whole youth group and a small church praying for me. And that, I think, is really what God did to mm -hmm. soften my heart, yep. to make me be able to actually realize and recognize the truth and the gospel, sin, repentance, Jesus. Like, I don't think it's hard because we don't see what prayer does all the time. We just potentially hear that, like, I was at a church service and I get, and yeah. uh, like my family members who have come to know Jesus, what I remember about my sister is sitting on the bathroom floor with her, uh, sharing the gospel with her, where she said yes to Jesus because she's in a moment of just needing, in, of desperation. And I remember that part, but what I don't remember sometimes or don't remind myself of is the year and a half I prayed for to come to know Jesus. So Tyler Statton calls the the unglamorous yeah. prayer, the, the hidden prayer where it's just laboring in prayer year after year, day after day, asking God, would you move yeah. for a moment of breakthrough? Yeah. Um, and that's part of what it means not only to pray for others, but to pray for yourself in this, knowing that you do need wisdom 
because you want to know what to say, rely on the spirit, but you, but you want to be prayed up to do that. You, you want to have discernment to know who and in what ways, right? Just like you're talking about, you can definitely do damage trying to make disciples. If you're not discerning where God might be at, if you go with your own gusto and your own force, some bad things can happen, but praying for protection. When we move on behalf of God, the kingdom, there is an enemy who does not want to see that succeed. And so if you're putting yourself out there to make disciples and things start coming in opposition, that makes sense. That's what happens when we move for the kingdom of God. So make sure you're just praying that protection over yourself. Prayer's great. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Prayer's the work. Like some people have said that before. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Mr. John. Mr. J. Dubs. I knew John was coming back around. John came back. (laughs) John 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 Wesley. Wesley. Well, maybe to wrap up here, what final advice would you give to the person who is looking to like live into the call to make disciples? I (laughs) (laughs) she wasn't ready. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, um, like, I I think it really comes down to prayer. So over the summer, I was working at a YMCA, and um, I was just like, this might be one of my few times I get to like work long term in a secular environment, and so. I would pray for the other lifeguard I was working with before my shift and I would pray for the chair that they were going to sit in right next to me and just like surrender that time. And I just saw God do like a lot of really beautiful things. I saw people that I was not actually supposed to talk to because they were not ready to hear and it would have done harm. And I saw people that God had just been preparing over time. Like there's this guy named Robert and Robert didn't believe in God and but for some reason he thought the Bible was incredible. And he's just like asked me all these questions about the Bible because he thought it was a great literary work. Yeah. And I'm just like, no, this is truth. <laughs> and I would just get to sit down with Robert and just talk with him about it. And so prayer for me was a place where I got to release the burden, um, like in that weight of making disciples and just actually join into the work that God was already doing. For me, I think what you said about listen is so key to the disciple making process. And what I when I when I read James it says be slow to slow to speak quick to listen slow to anger yeah, so I got those all, yeah, I got yeah, those yeah, all nope. in wrong order but whatever in that like that is so convicting to me because when I get passionate about something like Jesus or I'm trying to help people my my instinct is to tell speak encourage challenge all the things right I'm gonna inform you and we're, we're gonna walk away from this better but most of the time we have to start with listening to create space where we can actually speak. So I'm thinking the non-believer where we come up and say, hey, do you have a faith? They say no. And we said, let me tell you about Jesus. Yeah. Instead of, hey, do you have a faith? They say no. We say, well, tell us about that. Like, what do you believe? Yeah. We start asking questions and we allow others to speak to us and we truly listen and care for and, and hear them because then that creates space for the gospel to be shared. Mm-hmm. We so want them to care about what we think yeah. without us spending any time caring about what they think. Yeah. Or you come to your believing friend who's issue, like you're trying to walk with them and we're saying, hey, I see this. You need to read your Bible more. You need to do this. You need to do this. I want to encourage you with this word. This is the podcast I'm listening to. This is the book that I'm reading. And we get passionate about our stuff. But what would it look like to say, hey, what's a book you've read lately? What God teach you in his word? Is the spirit speaking anything to you? And we start with listening and then maybe something that God in his supernatural power is aligning what we've been learning into their story where how much more impactful could that be? There's a lot. I think not everyone that you encounter and want to like one, if you don't have a passion to want to make disciples and, and, and like reach the lost, like pray that God would change your heart. Cause he will, if you actually pray that prayer, honestly, he legitimately will, will change your heart in it. Um, two, not everyone you encounter, we've talked, we've hit it a little bit, but I'm going to come back at it again. Not everyone you encounter 
is ready or able to receive the good news. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean you don't try. It means that you pray for discernment on those people. When Brennan uses phrase, persons of peace. So in Luke 10, when Jesus is going town to town to basically come and say he's the coming Messiah, he sends the disciples out two by two to these towns and has the disciples prepare the towns and the homes to be able to receive Jesus, the Messiah, and receive his his healing, uh, his mission, the kingdom of God's at hand, repent, believe the good news, and his word. And he says, you knock on the doors of these houses, and you say, peace be unto this house. And he says, if it's peaceful, and it, and it returns back to you, stay there, like receive the hospitality, yeah. um, share with them, prepare, like, heal the sick. He says, but if it doesn't come back to you, if the peace doesn't return back to you, go to the streets, d- shake the dust off your feet, and basically... S- preach a little bit, speak a little bit of this. You are not ready to hear the good news, which is coming. It basically says, move on, move on to the next town is what it says. So it's don't stop trying, but a recognition that there are just people in your life who are not able or ready to receive the good news of what God's done in your heart and your soul, the testimony that you have, which ultimately points to Jesus. So it's in that, how do you pray for them? Like, I don't pray when I go to stores, God, would you send me to people of peace? I pray God with the interaction I'm having, would you make them people of peace? And then I discern from there what is going on. I remember I had a, had a moment where I was walking. We were just doing a prayer walk through an apartment building in a town I was living in like seven years ago in Watertown. And it was this old apartment building that just we were felt led to pray for. And just one of the days where over lunch we went to go prayed and went through the hallways. And this guy walked out of the door. And he goes, what, what are you guys doing here? And I, we looked at him and said, we're just walking around the apartment building praying for people. Do you have prayer for anything? He goes, no, unless you can buy me some beer, I don't want anything from you. That's a really good example of someone who's not a person of peace. Yeah. <laughs> so, but like, so some are obvious and some are not. Yeah. And so I just pray for discernment on that and pray. Uh, yeah. Again, it comes back to prayer. Prayer, God, change your heart. If it's not changed already, I want to make disciples and want people to know Jesus. Uh, and then pray for a discernment in persons of peace. That's good. Well, it's been another fun time talking yeah. about ministry and all the fun things. Um, but as you guys go, I just want to remind you that you guys are sent for a week of ministry. And you're joined by us here at the church, but you're also joined by all your fellow peers that are listening and have fun. Be yeah. faithful in it. Pray That's about good. it. That's awesome. Love all it. right. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Goodbye.